we, we should really be praying also for the church in Nepal. It's not, there are not many Christians in Nepal, but it is a growing number. And uh, at a meeting I was at on Friday where the denomination has a connection with uh, ministry going on in Nepal, we learned that some of the Hindus there are blaming the earthquake on the anger of gods at Nepal because of the growing Christian presence. So the Christians are being blamed for what's happened. And so we need to pray for them to find ways to be courageous and show God's love Our theme verse for Family Month is found in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. We're going to be thinking about this all month. In my first job out of college, I was the youngest person working at a a church-run school. I was the youngest person, and I was also the boss. And that was tough. I mean, I had a number of women working for me who were old enough to be my mother's, and some of them thought that they were. You know, it's really hard to give your mother a bad performance review or to tell her she needs to pay more attention to her work. But I was the boss, and I was trying to act like it. When I went to the first church I served as senior pastor, the average attendance was 19. The average age was somewhere north of 65, and I was a few months short of 25 years old. When I would suggest an idea to our church board, someone would invariably say, we don't have enough people for that, or we don't have enough money for that. It took a while, but I found out that they didn't hire me to give them more to do. They hired me to do what they were too tired to do. It's not easy for a young guy to lead his elders. I should know. I've been with you guys all these years. I should know that. Sorry. (laughs) Even in the church situation, I had it better than some of the supervisors I saw at Ford Plant. These are guys just fresh out of college, and they were supposed to tell men twice their age or, or more how they were to do their jobs. I mean, grizzled old men who hated these young, too big for their britches, college know it alls. Sometimes that got ugly. Well, in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is mentoring his son in the faith, Timothy, who was pastoring a church in which he was the youngest of all the leaders. And Paul tells him, this is verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. The old mentor saying, don't let them push you around, kid. Now, I can imagine Timothy's taking notes. Okay, I got that one. And then, but how am I supposed to do that? Do I need to be more assertive? Maybe I should start dressing for success. You know, Alan Edmonds sandals, put a power sash around my robe. Maybe I need to read up on leadership or try using the latest rhetorical devices out of Athens and Rome. And by the way, in the first century, there were plenty of those. But that's not what the old mentor had in mind. The only way... To go about this, the only way is to earn your authority. And you do that by becoming an example to the people around you in five areas of daily life. In speech, that's what we're going to think about today. In life, the Greek word is more specific than that, but we're going to talk about that next week. In love, in faith, and in purity. 
Now, Paul knew perfectly well that you can get people to do what you want done by employing certain strategies, what people today refer to often as leadership techniques. You can get the things you want done, and some of them are good and important things. But being a leader is about more than just getting things done. It's about helping people become all that they can be. And that requires more than the latest leadership shortcuts. But what's true of leadership in a business environment and in a church is also true in a home. You may be able to get your kids to do the things you want because you're bigger than they are. But what good will it be if you lose your kids? Paul's counsel to Timothy about leading a church holds true for dads and moms leading a family. If you want to make a difference in your family, whether you're dad or mom, grandma, grandpa, sister, brother, you need to start by being an example. An example, by its very nature, is reproducible. Now, it's a lot faster just to boss people around, including your kids. But guess what people learn when they're bossed around? They learn how to boss other people around. If your five-year-old is bossing around your two-year-old, guess where she learned it? Now, if you're not a mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, sister, brother, you may think, well, this doesn't apply to me. But the biblical instruction we'll be looking at during the month of May is applicable outside of the nuclear family. In fact, the biblical writers were thinking primarily of the church family. They call all of us to be examples to other Christ followers. And our church can be an example to other churches in the area, just like the Thessalonian church was. And I think in some ways we have been. For example, in in the area of missions, our church gives 20 to 25% of our income, and that's not counting what's happening with World Vision right now and in other things we do through Change Your World. 20 to 25% of our income to world missions. That's extraordinary. We're serving as an example. We can be an example to other churches. We can all, like Paul, be an example of hard work. Church leaders should be examples of generosity and the readiness to jump in and help. The power of example cannot be overstated. Have you heard about bystander effect? Do you know that term? It states that in a crisis, the probability of help is inversely related to the number of bystanders. So in other words, the greater the number of people standing around watching, the less likely it is that any one of them will help in a crisis. Individuals follow the example of the crowd. So a crowd of people stands by while a woman is raped. That's bystander effect. That's something that actually has happened, unfortunately, more than once. A crowd is watched as a father brutalizes and kills his baby child, and they do nothing. People in a crowded emergency room waiting area, including the ER staff, have watched a patient collapse and gone about their business as if nothing had happened. That's bystander effect. On the other hand, when one courageous person rushes to help, others join in. I don't know if there's a term for that, but there should be. Call it hero effect. In both cases, the power of example is what makes the difference. Example is powerful, especially over time. 
Let me give you another illustration of the power of example, and then we're going to think about what it means to be an example and how we speak. Some years ago, a Swiss study was published dealing with the variables that come into play in passing the faith from one generation to the next. The study showed that the example a father sets is the single strongest factor. The study found that if both father and mother attend church regularly, 33%, one-third of the children, will become regular church attenders, and 41% will attend irregularly. They'll have some connection to church. If only the mother attends and the father attends sporadically, that number falls from 33% to 3%. 3% of those children will become regular church attenders. 59% will attend irregularly. On the other hand, if a father attends church regularly but the mother irregularly, the number jumps up from 33% to 38% of kids will become regular church attenders. And if the father attends regularly and the mother doesn't attend at all, it's counterintuitive. The number goes up even higher. Now, over 40% of kids will be attending church regularly, 44%. When neither parent attends, this is interesting, 4% of children will become regular attenders. Only 15% will ever go to church at all. In other words, without mom and dad's example, over 80% of kids will have no connection to the faith. Okay, with that example of, of the power of example in our mind, let's think about how we talk. I can still vaguely remember my mother punishing me for something I once said. I don't remember what I said, but it must have been bad because she washed my mouth out with soap. You know what the problem with that is? The soap doesn't go deep enough. It wasn't my mouth that needed to be washed out. It was my heart that needed to be washed out. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And my heart was overflowing that day. Not in good ways. James, who alludes to Jesus' teaching, by the way, if you haven't read James, read James. If you haven't read James for a while, read James again. James refers or alludes to Jesus' teaching 50 times in his letter. That's 10 times per chapter. James is taking what Jesus said and saying, here's how it works in life. James makes the same point. He says that no human being, this is chapter 3, can tame the tongue. And the reason for that, the tongue does not operate independently, so it can't be tamed independently. The tongue is directly connected to the heart. The only way to change your tongue, the things that you say, is to change your heart. What comes out of your mouth is the principal indicator of what's in your heart. If, when you haven't planned it, praise comes out of your mouth, boy, that's a good thing. It means that praise is in your heart. If profanity comes out of your mouth, guess what? It was in your heart first. If blessing comes out of your mouth naturally, it's because your heart's full of blessing. If cursing comes out naturally, it's because your heart's full of cursing. So the first and most important biblical principle for becoming an example in speech is this. You don't start with speech. You start with your heart. Jesus put it this way. And it's in the same context of him talking about the heart. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Your heart is the tree, your words are the fruit. 
If you just try to change your words and make them good, you don't go deep enough. You need to go deeper. You need to change your heart. But how do you do that? How is the heart, which the biblical writers thought of as the part of us that makes choices, how is the heart made good? The answer, which isn't popular in in the age of instant everything, is by storing up good in your heart. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. That's Jesus again. But before you can store up good in your heart, your heart needs to be cleaned out. Purified. Otherwise, the debris left by sin will cause your heart to malfunction and make bad choices in your life. The only thing that cleans the heart is faith. So the very first church council, the apostle Peter spoke of God purifying people's hearts by faith. Faith, genuine, vibrant faith in God is transforming. It brings forgiveness, it cleans our hearts, and it changes our focus. Faith enables us to obey God, which is the very best way of storing up good in our hearts. Faith starts a virtuous as opposed to a vicious circle. Faith leads to obedience. Obedience stores up good in our hearts. Every good stored up in our heart increases our faith in God, which leads to further obedience, what Paul calls the obedience of faith. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 5. And that stores up even more good in our hearts, and it goes on and on. If you want to become an example in speech or any of the five areas that we're going to be talking about this month, the place starts with your heart. It's the trailhead. The way of Jesus begins there. But there are trail markers on the way to being a good example, for example, in speech. And some of them are ones we're going to learn right now. Here's one way to set a good example in speech. Always be truthful. That's stating it positively. Stating it negatively, make sure your speech is not deceitful. Now, this is not an incidental subject in Scripture. It is a major theme repeated dozens, maybe hundreds of times. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Do not lie to each other. Do not deceive one another. Jeremiah speaks of people who bend their tongues as if it were a bow for falsehood, to fire out untruths. Peter quotes Psalm 40, whoever would seek good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Jesus wants his people to be plain speaking. He said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. God gave us words to express ourselves, not to manipulate others, not to control them, even when we're trying to control them for good, even when we're trying to control them for God. Manipulative speech even from the preacher who's trying to twist you just a little bit to get you to do the best thing for you is not what God wants. Don't say one thing when you mean another. Don't manipulate with your words. That is not the way of Jesus. You know, your children will follow your example in this. You ever notice how a son will say the same kinds of things his dad does in the same way he does? And even the grandson will pick up those verbal idiosyncrasies. Your children will follow your example. So set them an example of speaking truth. Here's another way to set an example. Be quicker to listen than to speak. 
Now that's stating it positively. Put negatively, don't talk too much. Don't talk too much. The proverb says, when words are many, sin is not absent. And I don't think that's just because we'll say things that we shouldn't, but because when words are many, we're usually trying to use them to control other people, what they think, what they say. And that's not the way words are meant to be used. You know that you can even talk too much with God. Jesus told us specifically not to be like the pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. Some people try to control God by talking him to death. Set an example by listening before you speak with God and even with your children, even with your adult children. Let me give you another example of a way to be an example in speech, and that is to build people up. Get in the habit of building people up with your words, not tearing them down. The biblical writers want us to encourage each other, not quarrel with each other. They want us to admonish each other, but not to tell each other off. They want us to be a continual source of blessing to the people around us by the words we say. Yes, we should speak truth to each other, but always in love. And when we're not with each other, then we need to be especially careful not to speak badly about each other. It is so easy to fall into that. The proverb says the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. Who doesn't like a choice morsel? They can be addicting, and so can gossip. And that's an addiction that you will pass on to your kids. Rabbi Joseph Talishkin regularly lectures on the power of words. He goes around to colleges and other places, he lectures. Whenever he lectures, he always asks the same question. He asks the people that are gathered, can you go 24 hours without saying anything negative about anyone? So I'll just throw that out there and let you think about it. Can you go 24 hours without saying anything negative about anyone? About politicians, for example? Yeah, it does count. And then the rabbi says this, if you can't go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're addicted to alcohol. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. And if you can't go 24 hours without without saying unkind words about others, then you don't have control over your tongue. You're setting an example when you talk about people behind their backs. That's why whole churches become churches where gossip is everywhere. And that example is bound to affect your kids and hurt them. So next time you're tempted, and that's what it is, you have to recognize it as a temptation to say something about a person. Stop long enough to ask yourself if you would say the same thing to the person. If so, you're probably safe to say it. If not, don't say it. Bite your tongue, bite your tongue until it bleeds, but don't say it. In 2013, the New York Yankees all-star second baseman, Robinson Cano, left the Yankees to take a 10-year, $240 million contract with Seattle. Of course, people in New York said he's a sellout, and they were all upset about it. Last year, when the Mariners came to New York, Cano knew that he was going to be 
booed big time by the Yankee fans. So he was invited by Jimmy Fallon to be a guest on The Tonight Show. And they went out under the streets of New York with this life-size cardboard cutout picture of Cano. And they invited Yankee fans to practice booing him before the game. So they go and just talk to people. Hey, you know, Robinson Cano, he's gone there. And what do you think? Oh, it's terrible. Are you going to boo him? Yeah, I'm going to boo him. You want to practice? And they just ask him to practice. And so these guys would turn around. They'd start booing this picture of Robinson Cano with gusto. What they didn't know was that the guy standing behind the cutout was Cano himself. So in the middle of booing and shaking their fists and yelling, Cano would step out from behind the cutout, and the people, one after another, would completely change their tune. One guy went from yelling, boo, you suck, to saying, hey, welcome back to New York, and giving him a hug. (laughs) What we'll say about a person and what we'll say to a person are often two different things. They shouldn't be. In most cases, if you can't say something to a person's face, you shouldn't say it behind his back. Now, there are exceptions, but in most cases. And even though he doesn't hear what you're saying, our Heavenly Father does. And he takes the same attitude toward gossip that King David did. He said, whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. If you're addicted to gossip, get help. Break the addiction. You will pass it on. When you talk badly about someone else, it's called gossip. When you talk badly about your circumstances, it's called grumbling or complaining. But grumbling is a kind of gossiping about God. He messed up. That's a terrible example to set for others, especially for your children. And people quickly follow it. If your children follow your example and become complainers, it'll color their entire lives. That's not an example you want to set. So replace complaining with praise. Instead of talking about how bad your circumstances are, talk about how good your God is. If you find a complaint in your mouth, don't wash it out with soap. Wash it out with praise. Soap doesn't go deep enough, but praise does. A Christ follower is a man or woman whose mouth is full of praise. David said, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And then he says, come, let us exalt the Lord together. In Psalm 33, he says that praise is fitting for God's people. It fits them. It looks good on them. The author of Hebrews writes, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. You know, Christians speak all kinds of languages. English, German, Spanish, Arabic, French. But a Christian's native language is praise. And he speaks it with an accent of thanksgiving. Set an example that way. Now, let me give you another thing. It comes to setting an example. There must be This is Ephesians chapter 5. No filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. They don't fit God's people. They don't look good in that stuff. There's no place for off-color jokes or profanity. You know, I know some people, and they're mostly young people, 
I've heard this now again and again in recent years, argue that profanity, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not morally wrong. It's just a way, uh, a verbal technique to express strong emotion. But they're doing just what Jesus didn't want them to do. They're using words, in this case profanity, to manipulate the people around them, to elicit a desired emotional response. What I've learned is that the easiest way to let people know that you're different, that you're a Jesus follower, easiest way, simply not to swear. It's remarkable. If you don't swear, people will pick up on it. They'll think, oh, he must be religious. But someday you'll get the chance to tell them that you don't talk the way you do because you're religious, but because you belong to Jesus. A guy named Paul wanted to quit using profanity. He'd been swearing so much and for so long that it was just deeply ingrained in him. And speech habits are among the hardest habits to change. They really are tough. I mean, we want to, but we find ourselves falling back into the same patterns of speech. And that was happening to Paul. So he went to a friend of his at his church in California, a guy named William, and he said, I want you to help me. I want you to help me quit swearing. So, so this is what I've come up with a plan. I want you to hold me accountable. Would you ask me each Sunday before the service how many times I swore this week? And then for every time I swore, I'm going to put five bucks in the offering plate. So the first week, it cost him 100 bucks. That's a way to raise church income, isn't it? <laughs> the second week cost him a little bit less, and the third week a little less, but he was still swearing, and he's still doing it quite a bit. After the third week, William, his friend, his accountability partner, changed the rules. He went up to Paul. I said, Paul, I got an idea. I'm going to change the rules for next week. But I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the rules for next week, but you don't have to worry. And then he said, it's going to cost you both more and less. But he wouldn't tell Paul what he had in mind. When the fourth week arrived, William found Paul back in the back of the sanctuary. He's looking pretty glum. He hadn't done very well again that week. William walked over and he pulled out a check, which he had already made out to the church, and he signed it, but he left the amount blank. And he said to Paul, just fill in the amount, just like every other week. But this time it's not going to cost you. It's going to cost me. He said, your sin still costs. But for you, it's free. Somebody else is paying for it. That's called grace. Then he told him next week there'll be more grace. And he walked away. When Paul realized that his swearing was costing someone else, changed everything. It was the last time he had to give money to the church for swearing. What punishment couldn't accomplish, grace did. You can apply that same rule to yourself. When it comes to setting an example in the way you speak, there's a, there's a biblical rule of thumb. Paul gives it in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. To say something in Jesus' name is to say it for him, in his place as his representative. So the question to ask is, can I say this thing to or about so-and-so as Jesus' representative? Can I use profanity as Jesus' representative? Can I grumble and complain for Jesus? If I can't, then I better not do it. 
Can I praise God in Jesus' name? Of course I can. Can I speak well of my fellow church member in Jesus' name? Sure. Can I bless others, give thanks, speak the truth and love in Jesus' name? Absolutely. Back in 1995, two comedians from Oregon declared September 19th as Speak Like a Pirate Day. I like Speak Like a Pirate Day. I actually speak like a pirate on that day. And you know what? Since 2013, State of Michigan has officially, uh, officially recognized Speak Like a Pirate Day. It's only one of two states. I knew when I moved here this was a weird place. <laughs> I think we ought to make the first, let's declare the first week of May, speak like a Christian week. I challenge you to try it this week. All the things we've just gone over. Try to say good things about people this week. Try to praise God every day and at different times during the day. Refuse to use profanity. Refuse to gossip. Don't complain. Listen more than you talk. What do you say? Will you try it? Speak like a Christian week? You may be surprised at how hard it is to change your habits of speech. They are deeply ingrained. But remember grace. And remember that you have to start with your heart. And that means you have to start with God. He can deal directly with our hearts in ways that we can't, and he will. And he'll do it with grace. So let's do that. In fact, let's talk to him right now about it. I'm going to stop talking and let you talk with the Lord. Will you ask him for grace? Make it speak like a Christian week for his sake. Would you tell him that you want to do that right now? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing this prayer to God. As we do with those who are going to distribute the elements, please come forward.